We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Thirty Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, scattered, busy, crazy, uh, silly. As per usual, some blend of those things. Well, and also a little sad, the croissanterie that uh, I got to experience the delicious bounty of while I was in Montreal closed. Yeah, and I don't know how many Televerse listeners there are in Montreal, so I don't know how much they care. But yes, my basically my favorite place in the country just 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 sort of closed overnight. So I'm I'm a little I'm pretty I'm a little bit beat up about that. But elsewhere in the world, there's a Veronica Mars movie that's going to happen. So that's nice. Yeah. But that's a whole other discussion, and I'm not even sure that's a good idea. But I, I guess, I guess it'll be good to see those characters again. Well, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting, if only for you know what it means for for television and for for self funding of projects and stuff. I don't know. I think it's going to be, if nothing else, I'm sure the movie whatever they put together will be good because I really like all that world, and you know the, they seem like they really have a story they care about. Um, but also just it, to to sit back and watch everybody else kind of freak out about it. It was so much fun. And uh, to watch what comes from it, I think will be really interesting. Although part of you thinks, where were you people the first time? Well, yeah, but you know, still something. I yes, don't know. it is something. <laughs> we heard from a bunch of you guys this week. Last week, we requested some feedback from you guys. We heard from Bob and Mari about that. Thank you very much, guys. If we anybody else wants to send us feedback about, um, we're thinking of changing up the format of the show and, um, shuffling some things around please let us know what you think about that what you want to make, uh, us to make sure that we keep or 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 maybe you would things that you don't particularly care about please let us know we will take that in consideration um but uh that was that was great to hear from you guys we, about stephen king I got to talk with randy bill who prefers the stand and um i think you're wrong bill but uh, i think the internet agrees with you though so maybe i'm wrong um, and Brian talked, and I talked about it, and then of course Steve, uh, we talked about that a bit. Let's see, Ken and Bill talked about Veronica Mars' Kickstarter. Mario made what looked like a delicious chocolate pistachio pie for Pie Day. Uh, that looked really good, Mario. I hope you won your your competition. Uh, let's see, Kyle needs to watch Spartacus. He's seen up to season three. Now my question is, which season three is that? What do you? Which one do you think that means? I I assume he means season two. Season two, <laughs> like with the flashback you know the it's it's complicated talking about spartacus yeah i i'm assuming he's considering the prequel season as season two okay so yes there's lots of goodness to come if that's the case kyle and uh, hopefully you'll be all caught up so you can enjoy the craziness of the finale as everybody else does um let's see talk some oz with bondo michael and adam and ken thank you for introducing me to kids views um and i loved your hashtag who's stupid now <laughs> about the walking dead that was 
hilarious and amazing. So thank you. And Amanda and I talked some amazing race too. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, there was some, some really fun back and forth this week, particularly about the walking dead, but you can listen to our thoughts on that in our separate walking dead podcast, which should probably already be up in the feed at this point, or if not, you can find that at soundonsite.org. Let's see over at sound on site. We have, uh, David Lynch month and favorite television month still going strong. There's a, a new article up about Transformers, which I thought was pretty great. Um, but the, for me, the highlight this week has really been all the various discussion about Oswald Green Powerful on both the regular Sound on Sight podcast, which was um, contentious, shall we say, as well as on Masterpiece Cinema. Yeah. Um, well, and it's it, yeah, there's a whole thing. I could write a book about everything that happened with that Oz podcast. <laughs> my feelings on it and i didn't and i only watched half, half the bloody movie so <laughs> the whole problem but anyway but anyways. yeah oz i'm so tired of thinking about that stupid movie <laughs> well we the there are people on both sides of that film at sound on site so i would recommend either of those podcasts if you are interested in that talk um when is your article coming up sir i'm gonna keep poking you about it until it happens uh the, the pop music one uh some <laughs> something's come up but uh i i'm 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 aware that I got sidetracked, so I'm trying to get not sidetracked and get straight tracked back <laughs> on that track. But it's just it it'll happen. It'll happen. It's happening slowly. Um, at the end of the show, we're happy to welcome back Justine Smith. Of course, she's from Sound on Sight to help us talk about season two of Girls. She's she of course helped us talk about season one. She helped you talk about season one. This will be my first chance to dig into to Girls with you guys, and that'll be a lot of fun uh, coming later in the show. But before that, let's uh, get into our week in TV, and we're going to kick things off on Tuesday with Justified Get Drew. And uh... <laughs> yeah, it had to be out loud this week. In any just universe. We would just talk about Justified all the time or, or have a whole mm-hmm. or have a Justified podcast or something because there's just so much going on in the show that is amazing. Can we start with art? <laughs> I was going to start with Drew Thompson and how awesome he is. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's sort of the same thing. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant little bit of recapping slash self-awareness that we got mm-hmm. with Nick Searcy. And every once in a while, I have to bring up, hey, Timothy Oliphant does really good stuff on this show. And and one of the decisions he made with this episode was to give that piece of dialogue to Nick Searcy's character rather than to keep it for himself. Oh, did it start out a, as a Raylan line? It was it was it was a Raylan line. Yes. Yeah. And it played so much better this way. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know that. I can't I wouldn't have imagined that being a Raylan line at all so yeah absolutely that was a good call by all involved let's see what else uh what else in this episode I mean we were excited for Drew Thompson being revealed as as Shelby if only because it meant that we were gonna get a lot more theoretically we're gonna get a lot more Jim Beaver I felt like we didn't actually get that much more from him he didn't really get that much more to do I was a little disappointed in that a, a fair a decent number of scenes and i liked all his early scenes with ellen may and on the run and sort of getting a feel for their relationship and you know and i mean most of the episode he's getting sort of uh moved around between boyd and uh limehouse who i guess we can also talk about because limehouse mm-hmm. is here now when he still um, has those terrible teeth yeah you know what's funny is i've known limehouse was going to be here for like six weeks or something for one very simple reason, which is that I looked at the IMDb cast lists for the episodes. <laughs> so, like, way ahead, like, I was reading all these critics who were getting screeners. They're like, oh, my God, it's McKelty Williamson. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't need screeners to know that. 
But uh, anyway. Yeah, I thought it just made so much sense. It didn't. I don't know why it didn't occur to me that that's where that's where Ava was hiding out. But of course, and um, yeah, the way that it was handled was good. I do think they. Yeah, I guess they earned it. The, the sort of like rock star reveal moment of Limehouse in the episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do. I was rather again. I just can't help it. I'm still just I'm distracted by those teeth every time he talks. Um, but I don't know. That's clear. That's a me thing apparently because nobody else seems to have that problem. Um, nope. <laughs> um. Anyways, the the rest of the episode. I I mean, all the stuff with with Ava and and with Ellen May, I thought was really great. Um. I, 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 and it's something you talked about in your review, which was a fabulous review. Everybody should go read it at Sound on Sight. But I loved how, how this thing that I hadn't even considered that that you were talking about, which is that this season has is not really it's not about Drew Thompson, it's not about this other stuff. It's really come down to whose future is gonna win out, uh, Raylan's or Boyd's, and that I think that's a wonderful observation and exactly why it looks like this closing string of episodes is really going to be effective. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a good conflict between characters, you both kind of want to see do well, who, you know, can't possibly both do well because their lives are diametrically opposed. That's good conflict. That's good stakes. That's good show, especially when the writing is this good. I mean, I, I especially love that line from Boyd about, Hey, you still get to be an asshole and shoot people. <laughs> um, uh, so, so much good dialogue this week. Uh, and yeah, and just like, and I know we don't normally say this, but, and it's not, it's not as though there wasn't enough stuff to enjoy this week, but the preview for next week looks ridiculous in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this, this whole, this season has taken just a, a turn for the, awesome is the, is the watchword this week for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It's, um, it's going to be a fun filled adventurous next couple episodes i guess the last thing i'll mention do we want to talk about rachel uh yes and uh the more the more rachel talks the more i think that she should be the 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 boss after art retires if art retires or if art dies which i'm starting to worry is what's going to happen since he's been talking about retiring (laughs) yeah i mean if i if i have to pick between who i think is gonna come out on top i still between raylan having job security and money and prestige and boyd i feel like I I don't anticipate Raylan being in a better position next season um, as much as I don't anticipate a happy ending for Boyd and can't really picture the show with him, you know, putting on the Dairy Queen hat. Um, I guess if I had to pick between the two of them, I, I guess I'm expecting either a third party, you know, other or I guess Boyd t- to win out. And so uh, look, looking at, you know, the future of the show, I can't really picture the show with Raylan as the boss. Can you? No. So that can't happen. So I don't know exactly what is, but uh, gonna co- how it is going to come together. But I definitely, it's it's definitely interesting. And I could definitely see Rachel as the boss. I, that could be a lot of fun. Um, the uh, the last thing for me, death pool. Who, who's who's uh, getting shot next? Who's getting shot on just, oh, God. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think anybody's getting shot quite yet. I feel like we're going to have another sort of finale craziness thing happen but yeah I, I don't like art's chances i don't like as much as i love J- jerry burns I, i'm not crazy about win duffy's chances either um and yeah not crazy about drew thompson's chances obviously <laughs> yeah 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 i would agree with that one I'm, I'm kind of ready for johnny to go just because 
he's had the same story for about two or three seasons now, and I, he needs something new. Yeah, I, I had that thought, although I did love the scene with him and Raylan where he was, was talking great. about Boyd as a kid. And and just whenever someone is stops the story to tell a story, it's, it's generally a good sequence. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Johnny's definitely uh, done his part. Oh, and I also really, really like Johnny's girlfriend. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's pretty great. It's nice to have, especially with Ellen May, you know, it looks like she is no longer on Team Ava uh, by the end of the episode. So it, it looks yeah. like they'll need another sympathetic horror character to, to flesh and, out the world of Audrey. So it looks and, like that's her. And by the way, um, I, I just have to mention that Gramios describes the, the scene with Johnny and his girlfriend as the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha scene, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that that is pretty great. Huh. Well, we're, it's, to me, it's justified. We love it every every week. I can't wait to talk about the season as a whole. We're going to do a, a season spotlight, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It'd be awesome. Let's move on to Wednesday and the Americans, Duty and Honor. And uh, we got some flashbacks this week. We did. Um, you know, I, they did a really amazing job at de-aging Philip. Not so much with um, with Irina, who uh, looked the same age and definitely too young in the present. But hey, I'll take what I, I'll take what I can get because I know that stuff isn't easy on a TV budget. Uh, but yeah, so the Americans is six for six now because this was great. Uh, again, I, I, I get tired of saying it, but it's true. It's 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 having a, an absolutely like almost unprecedentedly recently stellar uh, first season. Uh, every every storytelling decision they've been making, I've just thought that is a smart move, and it's a smart move in a way that I wouldn't think of myself mm -hmm. if I were in their shoes. So that's generally impressive. Yeah, there's a lot to like in this episode. Uh, we we got good interesting stuff with um, with Noah Emmerich's character, even. But I really do think the highlight of the episode was Michael Reese and uh, what he got to play. Did Matthew you? Reese. But I do think the highlight of the episode was Matthew Reese and and what he got to play as as Philip. Now, do, did you believe that there was really a son, or did you think that was a scam? Oh, I think there's really a son. I know you don't think so, but uh, or at least you told me you don't think so. I'm not sure. I think it could go either uh, way. I, I lean towards there is. And in fact, when he asks her later later in the episode, so is he real or not? I take her reaction there as being slightly affronted that he th that he thinks that she would deceive him like that. And then so then she plays coy about it. Like, that's what I think. But mm -hmm. that may not be. I mean, I, I, if I rewatched it, I might have a different opinion, which means they did a good job. Uh, I I I, uh, I also really like the stuff with uh, with Noah Emmerich. I just have to mention uh, Annette Mahendru who plays Nina, the more I, the more I learn about her, the more awesome she seems. Because apparently she's fluent in seven languages and is good with nunchucks. Nice. Uh, they had to, I don't know how they're going to incorporate that, but they totally should. Yeah, I, the, the, the nunchuck part I may have just made up. But, uh, the, the, but the seven languages thing is true. Uh, so, and she's just been good. She's been, I mean, she's been really good, and I, I'm, I'm actually really fully engaged in the stuff with Emmerich. So even though I still just think of him as Noah Emmerich instead of uh, whatever his character name is, they need to work <laughs> on that. Stan. Stan, Stan Beeman. Yeah. Stan. Um, I, I, the other thing I wanted to mention about this episode is I, I did really, really love that scene with Margot Martindale and Carrie Russell. Uh, have, yes. <laughs> turning that into such an antagonistic relationship as opposed to like the women in it together way. It looked like it might kind of go. was such a, such a great choice. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to more of them. Kind of. Yeah. Just... If anything, I, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little disappointed that after 
seeing how bad she beat the shit out of her that she just she doesn't look quite she doesn't look quite banged up enough after what yeah felicity did to her Do you i know i don't how- for some for some, for some reason, when I think of the beating, I can only think of her as Felicity. It's a weird wire-crossing thing in my head. Yeah, it works. <laughs> now, uh, do we know how much time is supposed to have passed? I No, we don't, uh, which is maybe a which is maybe another indicator. I mean, I, I would like to hope it, it's not the next day because those that kids need ridiculous. a break. Well, and also because her face could not have been down yeah. and swelling that much. But... Um... Yeah, so a lot, a lot to like in this episode. Um, oh, and I and I also I I really like the design of the entire mission mm-hmm. in uh, in it was in it was in New York. Yeah, I believe. Uh, d- just you know, in terms of ha- having to destroy that guy's life and the way it was all set up, I thought it was it was it kept me guessing, and it was and it was actually sensible, you know, in a in a disturbing spy move kind of way. Yeah, I was I was uh, bummed out by the ending, but I think you're supposed to be. Um... Don't like it when TV spy mommy and daddy fight. So yeah. <laughs> I should say evil kid you beat. Because if I say spy daddy, I immediately go to Alias and Victor Garber's character. But uh, so I don't like it when KGB spy mommy and daddy fight on TV. But uh, hopefully yeah. that'll, you know, that'll come. As, as a friend of mine said, I'm really impressed with the way that it's genuinely it's, it's being genuinely developed as being a show about sets of protagonists rather mm-hmm. than protagonist antagonist that's really difficult to do without wanting without being bored with one side or wanting to root for one side that's yeah. that's good storytelling right there absolutely let's move on though to the comedies we're gonna do our comedy roundup uh, most of these guys are on thursday so that's why we're putting it here we'll start with cougar town which i i know you you don't watch the only thing i want to mention about this this is you tell me um is i i really was not a fan of their target commercial in the middle of the show um, because I, the story was fine, the way that they executed it was okay, but as soon as they stopped, when they were just walking around Target and having dialogue, that worked for me, um, because though it was clearly a Target commercial, it felt naturalistic and realistic for these characters. But when when they went to the montage, that's where it kind of went over... It tur- because it felt too much like a, just a straight-up commercial. Look at all the wonderful things you can do at a Target. Um, and so that... Yeah, I was surprised by how big of a shift I had in my acceptance of the product placement <laughs> when the dialogue stopped. Um, but uh, I, I just thought that was worth worthy of a mention. I, I'll I'll take one annoying episode with a giant commercial in it if it means that I get the rest of Cougar Town, and, and that's what you know funds it. But let's go on to community advanced documentary filmmaking. I do not care about Chang or his Changnesia, so I wasn't big on this episode. I'm also getting tired of Abed films and documentary episodes. There have been too many that are along that in that vein, as far as I'm concerned. I really think they need to start changing up the characters at this point because they do keep hitting the exact same beats, and uh, it, it's it's time for something to be a little different. So that's my thoughts, my two cents on community. But let's go to Parkers and Rec bailout, and uh, I think... I also really like Archer and Bob's, which we'll talk about, but I think this episode wins just because of Jason Schwartzman. Uh, he was in, at his most uh, self-aware and self-parodying, and that's how I prefer my Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, I don't know. You you mentioned that before I saw this episode, because you saw it well before I did. And I was, I don't know. He, first of all, he's not in the episode all that much. He, like, he spends quite a lot of it sitting around silently in, in, in the in the courtroom. Uh, which was kind of disappointing, and I'm I also I'm also not like you know I like Schwartzman, but I I, I have no I have no enthusiasm for the guy really, so mm. maybe maybe that hurt my estimation of the episode. Also, 
other than that, you know, I, I thought it, it made sense for them to have uh, le- um, to have Leslie and Ron come to a conflict over this issue. But I, d- I did feel like it kind of brought out some of the more caricature-y aspects of Ron, like the giant plates of meat and the and the giggling when it when the porn store was re- was revealed and things like that. Uh, other than that, you know, it was it was a fine episode. I'm not sure how I feel about Tom and John Ralphio's sister. Some of it was kind of funny, but I found the character her character just to be super one note, even more so than John Ralphio. Yeah, she didn't work for me, and and even John Ralphio's like his singing in that first scene with him really didn't work for me because it felt too much like he was being intentionally obnoxious as opposed to just not being aware of, of how he's coming across. So, yeah. you know, John Ralphio is, can be a great character, but can also be trouble troublesome for the show when they don't get the balance quite right. Um, I'm not a huge Schwartzman fan. I mean, I like what he's done. I, li- I like several of his different, you know, shows and movies and stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm never like, let's go see it because it has Jason Schwartzman. And um, I was anticipating another very, you know, similar character um, from him when, when he popped up. And so when they did just make him a complete, uh, completely, uh, I mean, I felt like they were really playing with the persona of Schwarzman in, in it or what he, how he is perceived in, in most of his roles that he takes on. So that's why it really worked for me. And, um, just, like, just, I don't know, maybe I just know too many me- mega film nerds who would think that a s- subtitled Tarkovsky is the, you know, mainstream thing to get. I don't know. It really, that just worked for me. As for Ron, I do think it's been too long since they had an ideological conflict between Ron and, and Leslie, and so that worked really well for me. Do you have any thoughts on um, on Chris and the baby daddy thing and April, you know, being friends? No. I, I mean, I thought the whole him fathering Tom thing was a weird uh, plot point that I'm glad they didn't try to do too much with. Um, it, it, Yeah, the thing with Anne is... I'm I'm a little disappointed. They they it, for the entire run of the show, they they never find anything to do with her except what's going on with Ben's love life. And if that's not it, there's nothing happening with her at all. Yeah. So that's a little disappointing. I wish they could have done something, but you know she's always been the character who is a nurse, and that's what she does, even though she's apparently never at work. Um, and it's a really demanding job, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like the natural move for the character, but yeah, it's, it's sort of more of the same for her. Okay. Well, let's move to Archer and the Honeymooners. Um, I, I, I would have guessed that this was your pick of the week. I'm leaning towards, yes, uh, Bob's was really good, but we're, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, there was, I actually had to watch this episode twice because it was so dense with gags. I wanted to see what I picked up on and, I think my favorite gag was actually a very simple one having to do with the meaning of the word surveillance um which uh, as a you know vague french speaker i got a kick out of but yeah a lot lots of just fantastic jokes in fact the only joke that didn't work for me was uh was uh cheryl and her not understanding that moose wasn't in the dessert uh was, that was a little bit too broad but basically every other gag worked for me from from the uh, from the reveal of who's dealing the uranium at the end to um, uh, every verbal pun. And, and also, I the remember when I said awesome was the watch word, the sequence of Archer plunging after 
Lana was actually legitimately awesome. Well, I I kept just being struck by how great the animation was in that whole sequence with the the reflections on the glass and everything. It was it looked looked amazing. So yeah, it was effective comedically. It was effective um, in its story structure and and actually and of course then again also just it looked great. Um, one of my favorite things though I think is I'm loving this running. B or C plot, you, like maybe even C or D plot over the course of the season of Lana's internal emotional journey. So much like we had that elevator scene with, with Lana and Archer a few weeks ago, it's like underneath everything else that's going on, Lana is having this really, you know, t- tumultuous, you know, what should, what do I want to do with my life? What is the meaning of my life? Am I too obsessed with work? She's having all of this stuff going on and yeah. the show does not care. And I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really great. Uh, the one disappointment for me is that I feel like it over the, over the course of the previous two seasons, they were kind of toying with having Archer evolve as a character. And I feel like they've kind of backtracked from that a little bit. And it would be, you know, with the whole having a kid and the cancer thing. And mm-hmm. this year, he's just totally back to being a douche, which which is fine. It makes sense for him. But I, I was sort of getting used to them trying new things with him every season. Well, and again, going back to that same elevator scene from several episodes back, that hinted at, you know, some growing uh, self-awareness and maturity for for him as well and then immediately went away because Katya would uh would see him so yeah it's uh it's been interesting you know watching the progression or not as you say of of his character I do agree with uh, uh, I know something strongly held for you they need to bring back wee baby Seamus um I, yes they do it's really been he's really been missing Cause, especially because every time you see Archer's back he has the Seamus tattoo and that just you know I want to see. I know that you remember because yeah. you remember his tat. So plus, it's, it saves them money. They can get verbal gags without having to pay any voice actors because all they need is for someone to make a baby noise. <laughs> so yeah, it's just I, I, smart budgeting. We'll see what you know if anything comes. I, I would be a little surprised actually if nothing comes of the because they keep coming back to this Lana thing. However, briefly, I would be surprised if nothing comes of it. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe there'll be something and maybe that will tie in with Archer. I don't know. I, I'm a little more hopeful for towards the end of the season because these last couple episodes have been a lot stronger, I think. Yeah, I think I think that is accurate. Um, so Bob's Burgers to Fertina, uh, best dance off in how long? It was a pretty good dance off and it was a good enough dance off that I was fine with not having any musical numbers this week. We had a musical number. T. Before you take my breath away. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that was that was a good musical number. Uh, I, I I really love Bob's for its warped version of teenage sexuality. Uh, that's and just the way we see what Tina thinks sex is and means, and yeah. what she, what she finds attractive, and we we find out a little bit more about that whenever we spend time with her, and it's always great. And I I, I loved watching her get get as she said greedy and sort of. <laughs> Oh, like balancing the whole situation, and I can't do the Eugene Merman thing, but uh, and and also just the 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 other aspect of knowing that it's Eugene Merman and mm-hmm. uh, and Ben Schwartz, I think, and and uh, and and another male voice actor all pretending to be teenage boys and girls and hitting on each other, and I don't know, I I, I enjoy the slightly transgressive aspect there. I also just little details. I really liked her dress. The way the way they chose they chose to animate her, I thought it was interesting though that at the dance 
at least to me, it looked like they gave her more of a, a figure and shape in the dress. And when she was at home, she basically looked like a triangle. So I thought that was an interesting <laughs> choice. I don't know. There was some, some little, I mean, I'm probably just imagining it because I don't feel like they're going to, ch- they, they necessarily going to change the shape of, of the outline of the character from one scene to the next and not have any comment on it. I don't know. But um, I like to think that Bob's is the kind of show that does stuff like that. Um, I really didn't care about the parents, though, this week. Really? I thought it was cute. I mean, eh. it, it, it was, you know, it was it was a, a fluffy little B-plot. It wasn't as good as the as the Tina and the two boys stuff, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, and I, I was actually surprised at how little time we spent with with the other two children. But it didn't really bother me. Yeah. So we had we've had a Jean episode and then a Louise episode and then a Tina episode. Rank them. Oh, God. Um I think it's going to have to be the Gene episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, it has to be the Gene episode. Yeah, I think Gene wins, too. The, at least this round. We'll see what uh, what comes next. But, but yeah, it, it, this was another really solid episode. The dance-off was the highlight, um, but lots, yeah. of, lots of fun. And glad other people are actually watching a show that we watch. And I'm glad that they're actually introducing some like slightly serialized elements just for fun. Yeah, with definitely. Tina, with Tina and her and her many boyfriends. <laughs> Next up on Thursday is The Vampire Diaries, Bring It On. I don't have that much to say about this one. You guys can see my fuller thoughts at Sound On Sight. I have a review up there. Yeah, I, I don't have uh, too much to say except uh, high school. Why are they back in high school again? If they if they never had another scene in the high school and never had them graduate and never acknowledged that they were in high school, no one would care. No, I no really one. don't. Maybe, what, 2% of the fan base would, would feel cheated out of a graduation scene? They I would mean, save money on having to hire dozens and dozens of attractive extras. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's got to be expensive. This is not Buffy, where the, the high school was, an, it was a crucial, integral setting to not only the experience of the main characters, but to the theme of the show and this really the message of the show. This is Vampire Diaries, where the farther they get from the high school, the better the episode is. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I I think Nina Dobrev actually does a good job of differentiating this Elena from regular Elena and from Catherine. But I have, I have some problems with what they're doing with the character. And, um, I, I really didn't like with Catherine or with, with Caroline, where they've stretched out this Tyler thing for two weeks. I'm not interested in Haley at all. Do you care about Haley even a little bit? No. Oh, God. The Haley class scenes are awful. Yeah. They just need to get them over to the originals, and um, and then then I'll be a happier Kate. As for, I guess I did like Rebecca. I didn't talk about Rebecca in my review, but I do actually like her. Um, I am I am actually looking forward to what we get, what we're, it looks like we're going to get from, from Damon with those, uh, I, I'm anticipating flashbacks to, it was what, Will was the guy that he tore the heart out of? Yeah, apparently. Uh, I don't know if flashbacks are really what I'm going to be into right now. I'd prefer they just got this whole Silas thing over with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and also I'm. They need to have a whole episode where nobody says the cure. I'm <laughs> really just sick of hearing people talk about it. Yeah, um, it, it definitely has. They've had stronger weeks. They've had w- worse weeks as well. I mean, this yes, isn't, they have. This isn't. I'm going to compel you to tell you tell you know everybody how you feel kind of a situation. But but still, it's not great. At least somebody got their heart ripped out this week. Yeah, it's something. Speaking of violence and mayhem, Spartacus wore the damned Mors Indicepta, which is uh, Latin for 
can't deceive death or you can't cheat death basically it's rough translation so what did you think uh, it was a good episode the there was lots to like it did it did definitely feel like it was a very deliberately we have to not kill everyone quite yet so let's make a way to not have that happen quite just yet right now but other than that it was it was good lot lots of good moments obviously the dialogue is fun as ever i i had in my head in my maybe maybe i i wasn't being attentive enough but i i had kind of a difficult time figuring out the geography of the area where they're supposed to be defend like not dying basically <laughs> and how that was working with the whole ice moat and all that stuff and i don't know it just it just it I, I I was having some confusion over the course of the episode with the tactics and the geography. Is that was that just me? Oh, I, yeah, I didn't really have that much trouble with it. Um, the 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 pit. I mean, at first I was not understanding the difference between what happens at the end and what we see at the beginning, and then I realized the difference is when they're climbing up at the beginning, they're climbing up the pit, and then they have to climb up the pit, and then they have to climb up the wall. So that that extra obstacle gives the people on top of the wall enough time to kill them so they are not able to scale the entire wall the, as soon as I kind of piece that together it made more sense what I have to give a shout out to is that after this episode I went up I went over to Wikipedia which of course is clearly infallible but yes. I did did a tiny bit of research and obviously the real Spartacus did not use bodies they they used the real people used um like they made like a bridge kind of thing of of sticks and mud and and stuff but pretty much everything else in the episode happened <laughs> they did that during a giant snowstorm and used that as cover to like i was watching this going okay this can't be what actually happened <laughs> and then it yeah. then it kind of was so that was awesome <laughs> that was an, an extra little bit of badass to to round out the episode i do like the struggles we're getting with crixus and spartacus i think it um it's particularly effective because that there was splintering in that group at that time historically i don't know that they would be doing playing the same conflict if that if they weren't kind of required to by history are you having trouble with that conflict uh well i'm mostly just having trouble with not no like i, I don't feel like we spend enough time just with spartacus thinking mm -hmm. like thinking about what his thoughts are on all of this and how desperate he's actually getting and like I, I feel like we need to spend more time just with him yeah or with him and one other character just getting an honest assessment of what's going on in his head yeah i think i would agree with that we're not getting a lot of internal uh insight which we should because he hasn't got that long no oh no uh were you surprised that at the choice made by um crassus's slave um, somewhat, uh, again, I'm not sure. I, I think I said something to this effect last week, but I'm not sure how interested I am in these like little political moves mm -hmm. ahead of, or, you know, little, uh, you know, character moves ahead of the big, you know, cluster hoo-ha, but it's, you know, I guess the characters need something to do to keep the other, uh, bits of the plot moving in the meantime. Uh, I do find it interesting that, that just the, the way the show finds these characters, sort of conflating the personal and the political, I guess, or mm -hmm. the personal and the, and the military. Um, Cause I, there, there, there's, there's something, there's something to that. And I think the show is actually quite smart about that. And, and I, th I feel like this is what we come back to. This is a smarter show than you would expect mm -hmm. considering the, uh, I, I wouldn't, not quite soft porn sex scenes, but really close. Yeah. Something uh, like that. 
and that are in every episode and that are in the incredible violence and the way that also the way just that it's sold if yeah. you just watched a random scene then you might not it's it's something where the whole is i think a lot greater than each of the individual parts would lead you to believe yes that's a good way of putting it yeah um i, w I gotta say i was disappointed in Gannicus. bad Gannicus. Cheated yeah, on, cheated on his woman and his woman who is awesome. Uh, I think it was smart for them to have her finally start speaking some English, or well, Italian, Roman, whatever she's speaking, whatever she's such that speaking. we understand her. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do think they haven't really built up that other. Like you said, you don't care about the other woman in that situation. I don't care about her either. And so if they're gonna, I don't know. I, I, I was a little disappointed. I wasn't surprised though. At least that's over with now, and we can hopefully focus on more pressing issues yes yes we can yes speaking of uh pressing issues finally on the amazing race dave and connor do drop out this week so i don't have to spend the episode watching it going you're destroying your acl <laughs> so it was nice to see them go out on top um of course it didn't really leave a lot of drama for the episode itself because they checked in without doing any of the challenges, which is their way of dropping out because the penalties will make them be last. And so nobody else is going to be eliminated in this episode. Uh, of course, the, the teams don't know that, but still, I don't know. It was, it was, um, it, there was some, it wasn't the most thrilling episode, but I did come to really enjoy um, Max, which I didn't anticipate. He's one of the newlywed um, Pam and Winnie came in first. So go us on that for our joint ha, go team. me you mean <laughs> you ripped me off we're I, I did i did copy um but we are in uh last and second to last place in the pool mario's kicking it but uh nobody's doing too amazing mario has 30 points he's in first place we have i think like eight and ten ish something like that for the two of us so there isn't that huge of a difference i i, I think this has been an interesting season in that there doesn't seem to be one breakaway team, especially after, you know, we had the injury for Dave and Connor. So they were, once they were eliminated, the, the, the teams that seem the strongest physically don't seem particularly intelligent, at least or, at puzzles and stuff. I am really liking how, I don't remember if it's Pam or Winnie, and has been able to draw on her experience as a set designer and it's come in really handy. And so that's been actually really cool to watch. But um, I know you weren't able to watch this week. Are you, have you been missing you know, the episodes that you haven't been able to see or are you not not feeling as compelled this season? Uh, that's part of it. I'll I will I will try to catch up. Uh, things are, are hectic, but I will I will try. Speaking of try to catch up, there was a, a there was another installment in 30 for 30 this week that we were not able to get to. We will, I'm sure, try to catch up for that when they air the next one. Of course, uh, we have our Walking Dead podcast for Prey up in the feed already. It was really great. We got to talk to Scott Meslow from theweek.com and The Atlantic. So you can check that out at Sound on Site or in the iTunes feeds. But let's go on to our next Sunday show, which is The Good Wife, Invitation to an Inquest. And uh, Odo's a Coroner. Yes, that was easily the most interesting aspect of this episode to me. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a bad Good Wife by any means, but it did feel a little bit like a retread of certain things we've seen before for instance everything with carrie and his dad yeah. i kind of felt like we knew where that was going and i guess carrie getting the upper hand was kind of new but it didn't feel like they really explored that relationship in any new way yeah it was uh that was disappointing uh, I, I guess if they're gonna keep the dad around which 
it appears that that's the only thing that really makes any sense to me for why they would have this in the episode. Um, that could be something, but I really am not interested in Carrie's troubled relationship with his father. So that wasn't particularly, you know, of note for me this week. I do, you know, I always like when they bring up legal quirks like this where three questions and then it was also good that they moved away from that as the episode continued because you know watching them try to deal with only three questions was was interesting for a while but was going to get old yeah the the run-on questions that were starting to develop really reminded me of my high school debating days where there were similar rules for at different schools uh, i also like that it only took them a week to get to a uh like a, a quasi gay joke with kalinda and her new partner oh yeah Seriously. Oh well, that are you guys getting a room together? Uh, with that, I was I got was glad they got that out of the way. Um, other than that, yeah, not I didn't find it to be the most memorable. I was glad the primary is already over. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, I'm gonna miss more Tierney, but uh, but that's good. They're not really stretching that out. Also, same thing with T.R. Knight. Though I really hope he doesn't become the the Eli of the opposing campaign. That would. Uh, be disappointing but I, i'm um, actually really not gonna miss that character i like tr knight but i don't feel like he added anything to the show really yeah that's a bungling i think on the writer's parts they 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 started to play with some interesting things here i like that alicia knew that eli was involved or assumed that he probably was which of course is was correct um, but yeah, they really that was a missed opportunity they, they want to keep alan coming on the show but they haven't really figured out the way to do that so hopefully that will change and develop as we move forward i did want to mention with the other investigator it looks like they're setting her up to act to just be a friend for kalinda and i think that would be really great yes yes it, it would it's the, like as we've said before they have the hardest time coming up with stuff for kalinda to do with other people yeah. And I think for her to have a new friendship, considering sort of the schism that's come up between her and Alicia, I think that's a really good idea. Absolutely. Um, but yes, mostly it was all about Odo. <laughs> Any other thoughts or shall we move on to Monday and our premieres? I think that's probably a good idea. So let's start with the Bates Motel pilot. Um when Ricky got to see this ahead of time, right of his review, and um, one of the things he did not long after seeing it was was send me a, a tweet or, or something like that saying, "Kate, you're gonna you're gonna hate the Bates Motel pilot." So probably that didn't help me go into it with an overly <laughs> open mind. I already was skeptical due to its you know status as a, as a quasi prequel of a film that I love and really anybody who likes film and cares about film should love. Um, despite my affinity for both of the leads. And uh, I got to say, I tweeted out last night, Ricky was right. I did hate this pilot. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's poorly made. I think you have really good... I do think, you know, Vera Farmiga and Freddie Heimer are very good. Uh, but I just don't understand how it works as a television show. I think there's some significant issues with it. And I don't want... I'm not going to check in. I'm not... It's, nothing about this pilot made me want to come back, despite how pretty it looks and how talented the cast are. Um, anyways, well, before I get into too much more of what was bothering me, why don't you, you know, let people in. What do you think? What do you, you know, I know, I assume you are, as a horror fan are, have an affinity for Psycho. Yes, uh, I would controversially argue that Psycho is a good movie uh, made by uh, a, a talented filmmaker whose name escapes me right now. But 
the I think the biggest problem with Bates Motel is that it's not it it it, it it's not doing enough with the the premise. Like if they're it, like this idea of taking these characters and then transplanting them to a like seeing them earlier in time but in a contemporary setting. If you're going to do that, you should probably give us a sign that you're going to be taking these characters somewhere new. And I think that this pilot, the biggest problem with it, you're right, it looks great and the acting is quite good for the most part. Uh, but unfortunately, it all it really does is foreshadow stuff that's going to happen in Psycho. You know, from you know, we get a, we even get a stabbing and a um, and the the sort of the very loaded mother-son relationship and uh, possible, actually almost certain, um, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's basically almost certain that his, that Norm, that Norma murdered her husband Mm -hmm. based on her reactions in that scene. Otherwise the scene was just poorly staged. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I don't know. It just, if I was getting a feeling that they were going to do some, that they were going to reinvent these characters in some way, rather than just put them in a, give them cell phones, basically, uh, that would be really interesting, and I think this crew could be very capable of that. But I don't think that's the show A and E wanted to make, really. Well, yeah, and because they they wanted to be able to sell it as Psycho the series, you know, and and uh, that's understandable. This is the 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 year of the serial killer between Hannibal starting up in a couple weeks here and uh, the following, and so to to bring in something that apparently is somewhere somewhat in the zeitgeist at the moment it makes sense for them to bring in these these bigger names and you know to really have a splashy uh, first original series in a long time they've had original series before but this is their first one in quite a while since becoming a reality show powerhouse over at any yeah they, they want to be able to build off of that but the trouble is it's just like like you say nothing about this feels like a television series it does it, it almost every reaction you get feels rather than something that's based on character or anything we know about the character feels like a construction to get our, the the characters to where we know unless they change something unless they pull a Tarantino uh in Glorious Bastards to get us to where they, we know that's going to go and i think they rely far too much on our knowledge of psycho in this pilot I don't think the the actions of Norma and Norman, particularly in relation to the dead body, make any sense, given what we're shown. I don't think Norma's reaction to her assault makes any sense, given what we're shown. Obviously, what we see with her in the opening moments shows that she has some detachment to death and or has killed people before. That makes, you know, that makes sense, though maybe that's going to turn out to be that that Norman killed the father while in some sort of a fit. I don't know. But um, but still, we see that there's a detachment to death. We could there could be a hint that she doesn't want to call the police because she could be have been implicated in that first murder. She could not want to, you know, bring up fresh refresh old wounds. But they don't tell us anything about that. We have no way to know that we have to try to infer that. So if you're going to have this really big set piece, assault and murder, then you you shouldn't be asking your audience to just kind of assume stuff and we'll fill you in later, not in your pilot. Uh, that's probably, yeah, you're right. That's probably not a good idea, but I think the bigger issue with that sequence is the, 
not so much the depiction of rape as the depiction the, the, the depiction of what comes after yeah and it's a big problem it's frankly it's somewhat offensive norma's kind of like she almost jokes about it right after it happens which is just really jarring and kind of it makes me wonder um i, I keep this is like the third podcast in two weeks where i've said some, something like this but it makes me wonder if there was enough of, of a female representation in the writer's room on that one well and if that's I me mean, because that does tell us a lot about her the fact that she would make a joke about rape so soon after having been raped but you can't just th give us nothing to support that you can't just throw that in there you need to have given i don't know some so something before this happens so that it it feels natural to the character for her to be so hardened i mean this guy this kid norman just s discovered his father's dead and I if i recall right bloody body six months yep. ago he shouldn't be this calm about seeing another one. Uh, no, probably not. Yeah, and and you're right. That does rely on our knowledge of of Psycho and knowing who he will, who Norman becomes. Become. And yeah. and and there's no and like I said, there's no sense that he won't become that. No, it's it. The template given here keeps hinting at Psycho and keeps seems determined to make that those character beats happen in some alternate version of Psycho that's set in 2035 or something. So, which is also confusing, but whatever. Well, there's, I also, I also have a problem with W.R.L. Brown and that character who feels like such a complete plot contrivance. He's there so that he can assault uh, Norma so that he can be killed and stabbed so that they can, you know, stash the body. He doesn't feel like an actual real character. His opening moment with them, that, you know, it provides threat. It gives you a somewhat of a sense of the location, but to, to go from that to... I'm just going to start raping people. I don't know. I just maybe even like a line of uh, shady past in the family or in the house. I don't know. But that to me just felt not again, like not a character, not a realized actual person, but a, again, a plot contrivance. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as I, I do think Gabriel Brand plays, plays him with gusto. He's, he plays a really good plot contrivance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big fan of his from Deadwood and everything else that I've seen him in. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you, what do you think? No, you're not wrong. I mean, and uh, although t there's there's also we, we we have to say this whenever whenever we're watching a pilot, which is it's a pilot. Yeah, and you know, pilots have have these problems uh, almost universally. It's very rare we get to see the first episode of something and it doesn't feature massive contrivances used to set up things for the future that are going to be figured out later. So I don't think that's unique to this show in any way, shape, or form. But yeah. I do think, given its prequel status, which I was, I, I guess the reason I'm disappointed is I came into it thinking it was going to be something other than a prequel, or at least something, or or something more than a prequel. Which now, having watched it, I don't get that sense anymore, and that's that's the biggest source of frustration for me. I think it would be more interesting if this was a regular town, but from what we get in this episode, also in the next time on trailer, which I won't discuss here because I know some people consider that spoilers. That does not appear to be the case, the way that um, the W.L. Brown character talks about, you know, I know all the shady, dark secrets in the past. Apparently, it's it's not just like a regular town. And then how do these odd people fit into that? Or you have a having a conflict there. I don't know. There's there's some other issues. I think there's an interesting version of the show, maybe, especially if it's not a psycho prequel, but the same similar kind of characters, especially as performances. Again, I want to stress, very good performances. I just don't like the material they're given. 
Um, but this just this isn't it for me. The last two things I want to gripes that I want to mention, and you're right, this is a pilot. A lot of this is probably pilotitis. Bradley, really, the her 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 parents <laughs> named her Bradley, Ugh. and uh, it's just such a television name, especially in that kind of a town. Nobody's naming their daughter Bradley. And then the other thing <laughs> is, what kind of a cop is Nestor Carbonell's character that he doesn't know what blood smells like? Yeah, there's that. Uh, I mean, it does. It, it sets up a really pretty shot. Well, yeah. pretty involving a corpse in a bathtub, but yeah, it's not terribly. It's not believable even logical. remotely. I don't know why we're supposed yeah. how we're supposed to follow this guy all season as he tries to figure out what happened, as as it appears might be the case here. Uh, if he can't smell a bo- dead body, he's clearly going to be the Andrea of cops. <laughs> That's uh, you're right. I'm sure it's very possible that most of my complaints here could be addressed on on the show as it goes forward. But I'm just not interesting interested in checking in again. There's nothing about this, despite the really good performances and despite the great art direction and, and design of the show, that has me wanting to come back. Especially on a day when there's other shows I'm more interested in watching. What about you? Are you going to ch- uh, check in for another couple episodes? I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and see if people are enjoying it, if the show is evolving, and like I said, if it's contradicting its status as a a straight-up prequel. If I hear that it's not doing that, I probably won't. Okay. Well, for me, a big reason why I'm not interested in sticking around is that at the same time on the Sundance channel, I believe it's the same time, might just be this week because they are two episodes, but uh, is Top of the Lake, which aired its first two episodes this week. You've only gotten to see the first one. I've seen the first two, but between Bates Motel and Top of the Lake, it's just like hilariously not even a choice. Top of the Lake's amazing. No, it's not. Yeah, this is a miniseries on the Sundance Channel. I believe it's in seven parts. I've I've read six somewhere, but I'm pretty sure it's seven. In um, in in New Zealand, where it was filmed, and in, in Australia, where it was originally aired, it was uh, aired as six parts and six hours, but it's been cut into seven segments. For for okay. a U.S. airing, yeah, which is why the end of some of the episodes feel odd because they were not the original designed endpoints. So that's what that's right. They aired two episodes this week. It's going to be one episode each week, continuing until the final week, which is going to have two again. Right, and I've seen it described everywhere as the killing except good. Yeah, and I only ever saw the first episode of the killing, so I don't know if if that's a, a totally fair or legit comparison. But I do know that at least this first hour is really really great. I'm a huge fan of Jane Campion. Bright Star is an amazing movie. The Piano is an amazing movie. Sweetie is pretty cool. Uh, I think you'd like her movies a lot. And what's what's uh, what translates really well, I think, to this medium for her is that there's this great mix of darkness and shady characters along with gallows humor and just oddball characters that are that are strangely infectious. And I think one of my probably my favorite scene on on TV this year actually so far is when. Um, the, uh, she's, she's 11. Yes. This, 12. uh, she's 12 when the, the 12 year old we're following for a, uh, for a good chunk of that first episode wanders into the, um, I don't know exactly how you'd call it. The, the therapeutic tent city for, <laughs> uh, for battered and, and otherwise, uh, troubled women. She wanders into this tent city with a huge rifle and then just sits down and chats with them all about her pregnancy. It's just like, <laughs> Okay, this is just awesome television right now. Yeah, it, and I, I didn't watch The Killing. I was steered away by all the reactions to it, and this was before the Televerse, so I didn't feel compelled to check it out. Um, now tell me, in the in the pilot to The Killing, did you actually meet Rosie Larson and follow her around? 
No. Uh, that... uh, she was she was already a goner at that point. Yeah, that seems like the the biggest difference, at least in the premise of of this. Uh, it, it's not a spoiler. It's not really a secret to say that Tui, the the main character that we're fo- th- whose disappearance we're going to be following, who's who is pregnant at twelve, so clearly something's wrong. Um, is, is she disappears, and so then Elizabeth Moss's character has to try to find her, see what's going on, figure out. You know, who at the very least statutorily raped her or regular raped her and really solved the mystery of what the hell is going on in this in this chunk of the world, this piece of the world. But um, following actually, you know, casting her and, and it's a wonderful performance, I think, from from that actress and letting the audience follow her and really get a sense of her in that this first episode is crucial so that we really care. I mean, I, I really care about her after only one episode. Yeah, I was upset when when that happens because she's just she's just a really cool character and and completely unique. And hey, we haven't even mentioned Elizabeth Moss. So let's talk about uh, her. Who, of course. <laughs> who of course is best known for Mad Men here appearing with a New Zealand accent and I I know that it that it caused trouble for Campion to cast her because her initial backers really wanted a, a New Zealand or Australian actress and she was like, "Nope, I want Elizabeth Moss." And they were like, "Okay, see ya." And I think I'm they, they, there was a whole cluster hoot about that, uh, but she's really, really great. And I, and I wasn't thinking about about Peggy at all while watching it, which is really impressive. Yeah, I've enjoyed Elizabeth Moss back from her you know, on the West Wing, even when she played Zoe Bartlett. Of course, she's amazing on Mad Men, and it's not a surprise that she's really great here too. Uh, and and, I, and again, I think it just goes back to having they have obviously have a really strong cast here, but starting the story with Tui and not with. Elizabeth Moss, I think, really puts everything in its proper context. And so because we care about Tui, we care about the person trying to help her. And I think there's a lot of really interesting gender dynamics. Actually, let me backtrack a little bit. We also care about Elizabeth Moss because of her performance and the writing and the world that's the situation she's put in. There's a lot of reasons we care about Elizabeth Moss. But I do think that there's a lot of really interesting gender discussion going on here. It felt a little odd to me that apparently in this chunk of new zealand a paradise or top of the lake lake top or whatever it's called the the area where they're in there's so much gender discrimination that seems seemed odd to me did that seem odd to you uh well having not been in new zealand i really couldn't tell you but i mean in terms of the the gender politics i think there's a lot of fascinating stuff going on the one thing i wasn't crazy about um the and when you only sort of roll your eyes at one thing in a, in a first episode it's pretty impressive but that one shot of the police captain or whoever he is like slicking his hair while he while he doesn't really listen to what elizabeth moss has to say was a little bit broad yeah but um on the other hand i, I like that they're not afraid to poke fun at uh, at some of the female characters in the same way that we see uh happen to some of the male characters especially in the scenes with holly hunter and these and these women who at first you're wondering how and how, why why am i watching these characters and then it gets tied in before very long at all which is quite smart um uh, yeah we have and we also have mentioned holly hunter whose character is is really something else yeah she's th- those women it's just hilarious <laughs> the, some of the different discussions and their reactions to each other it really you really get a sense that these women know each other for better and worse and uh yeah and and the scene with peter mullen sort of confronting these women is is amazing it's fantastic he's really great as and i believe him as a threat i believe him as not necessarily a suspect in the rape but 
in maybe in a disappearance. I, they, they do a really good job with that character of establishing him and giving uh, giving him real menace. And you're not quite sure where it's pointed, but I wouldn't want to be the person. I, I would not. I, I feel like if they find whoever did this, I would not want to be that person because I, Peter Mullen's going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, in, in two, the second episode gets a little bit more into Elizabeth Moss's character's connections to some of these other people. Um, it explores, it expands a little bit on the David Wenham character. That's Faramir to us Lord of the Rings fans, who's the police captain and, um, and gets, uh, you know, sort of makes the, some of these characters feel more like people, which is good. Um, but no, it's really, it looks gorgeous. The cinematography is amazing. Uh, excellent use of location everybody should tune in it's only seven episodes in over five weeks tune in yeah absolutely i'm i'm hoping to catch the second episode very soon and uh yeah we'll be following it closely absolutely let's take a break listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on southland off duty That was Cansao do Mar by Dulce Pontes, and I'm sure I slaughtered the crap out of that. Uh, I just would like to apologize to any and all uh, non-English speakers uh, who just had to suffer through that, um, which is the theme song to Southland. I don't know that we will do a season spotlight on, on Southland or, or a DVD shelf. Who knows when it's going to come up? And I love that theme song, so I figured we're going to use some music from the show. Let's use the theme song. This week totally. uh, on Southland, it was Off Duty, which was directed by Regina King and was written by Zach Whedon, who people will know as one of the, of course, the Whedon brothers. He was heavily involved in the writing and music creation for, for uh, Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. Well, he, I believe he's going to be one of the showrunners for the upcoming S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, pilot and series that we all know is going to get picked up um, on, on ABC. This was... Uh, this was a, an intense episode. What for you put this episode over the top and put it into the spotlight? You know, I, I haven't seen any Southland previous to this season, so I don't know if structurally it's changed much over the years. But I think what I find most interesting about Southland is like, I think of it as a sketch drama in the sense of it, it's, it's, it's very loosely connected in terms of the way it, it, it looks at its characters uh, and sort of and sort of stitches together these vignettes i kind of feel it, it feels like they when they were creating this season they just kind of they thought of about 50 horrible situations for these cops to be in shot them and then sat down in the editing room and thought of creative ways to assemble them uh what's what's great about off duty is it takes that approach and then i, I think it ties these vignettes together a, a little bit more um seamlessly and I think also those vignettes are really, really effective this week, more so even than usual. So I think the combination of those things, along with Regina King's pretty excellent direction, uh, I, th I think helps put it over the top. And it's been a really good season so far, but I think this was pretty clearly the best episode. Yeah, there's... Uh... I, mean, I think most of the episodes do have some sort of thematic unity undercurring, uh, you know, undercurrent within the episode. But 
it's it's really stark this week. You have Regina King dealing with somebody on death row. You have Dewey having a heart attack, almost dying in Coop, uh, being faced with his own mortality, um, and well as well as what happens if you just retire, get you know, get through your job, retire with your pension, and then are sitting alone at a bar, especially for for someone who struggled with addiction like he has. I think there there's a lot, uh, and then of course Sammy uh, has a. Uh, you know, saves a famous pop starlet uh, from a shooting at the beginning. So there's, again, there's a lot of very, very present focus on death and what you, what has your life amounted to? And I think that it's very effective. And like you say, the, the direction there's, it, it's, it's very present. It's very, you know, it's almost showy. There's a lot of really tight close ups, but I think it really works. Yeah, it it's especially glaring in a good way was the scene between um between Regina King and her partner and sort of starting to see some 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 possible romantic frisson there. Not really <laughs> sure, but certainly maybe starting to pay attention to each other in a in a different way in and that came out very clearly in the camera movement and the extreme close up. Uh that was all fantastic. And of and it's not surprising given that she directed the episode that she gets a lot of the best material, but also the scene late in the episode Actually, with Regina King. Yes, it is. Usually when direct when actors direct episodes, they direct episodes that they're barely in because they don't have the time. Okay. So actually, enough. when I was watching this, I was surprised to see how present she was in it. Okay, I I, I have been corrected, but regardless, <laughs> um, Regina King's scene near the end with with the death row inmate she's been she's been uh, sort of a pen pal with uh, is that's that's a scenario we've seen a hundred times before in movies and TV shows, but between the writing, the acting, and the editing, that was just something else. Yeah, it's again it goes to back to Regina King. Per- Regina King's performance, which is something we've praised uh, several times within just this, this is only episode five of the season. We and we're, we're new to the show on the Televerse, and we've still found time to praise her several times. And and she just she really managed to capture just her 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 dedication her, to her job, but also her her vulnerability with in her relationship with her son and and. Uh, I don't know. We find out a lot about her in that sequence, I think, and and it's all over. It's all over her face, underneath a layer of trying to not let it through. And it's a wonderful performance. Yeah, and the and I guess the other reason we felt compelled because there was so much, so much great drama this week, especially uh, the other reason we felt compelled to spotlight Southland at least once, and we we may not get to again, is that apparently uh, quite a few of the actors in the show have been. I've started to be cast in as pilot leads for next season. So, but it, despite that, there's been no actual announcement that Southland's not coming back, but that seems to be what's happening. So, you know, it's, it, it seems like they've had a decent, even miraculous run considering the change of networks, but uh, it might be over for Southland. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other characters though. I, I thought it was great what we got this week with Coop. I'm sure you enjoyed having Gerald McGraney back. Yes. Yes, I did. I think Coop is one of the, it's Michael Cudlitz, uh, who, of course, viewers will know from uh, Band of Brothers, as well as many other other things. I think he's actually one of my favorite cops at this point. I really love watching him. Uh, and, and just like, I did a top 10 cops that you would want working your case a while ago for Sound Insight. I might have to amend it to put him on there, because he, he feels so authentic 
um, while still feeling like a person. Yeah, and I like how low key the the show's treatment of his homosexuality is. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, in in terms of it, like is and and you understand how in previous cop shows like The Shield, for instance, like that's an active plot point because that could be you could understand how there's you know a lot of homophobia in the ranks, but as society evolves, you know that that may start to be less of an issue. So it's nice to see a depiction where. It's not like nobody ever gives him grief, at least not in this season that we've seen over his over his sexuality. Well, I should point out this is season five. There it was more of an issue in earlier seasons, at least with him. And what I notice is we don't I don't know if just based on the season, we know if he's out because right. we never see him mention a boyfriend or anything about a personal life, really, when he's on the job or when he's with his uh, his colleagues. So because that's something I had been watching out for. But even just in the tone that the show brings to those scenes and the performers as well, it's just so refreshing to have it just be another element of who this person is as opposed to a, a singularly defining one. I know that his struggles with with his sexual identity was more, more of a issue earlier in the show. Um, but it's nice to see, I, I have some gaps in there, but it's nice to see the character be so at peace with himself. Yes. Oh, and I love the scene with his ex-wife as well. Yeah. There was some dialogue this week that was a little, um, a little, in case you haven't been watching E <laughs> and that was one of those scenes uh, of, uh, even though I'm your ex-wife, guys, this is her ex-wife. Uh, yeah, I can yeah, still yeah. care, you know. So there, there was a you know bit there, but and of course, I don't know if you picked up on that. That of course he had a painkiller addiction that he struggled with for for a while. Uh, that um, started out with uh, the first time his back was hurt, and so right. to see that brought back here in a way that there's a subtle nod to it. So if you haven't been watching, you'll you know that there's something up, but they don't hammer it home. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they do a better job with some of those things than others. But compared to some other shows we've watched, it's oh. much less offensive. Oh, absolutely. Do we want to talk about uh, Officer Bryant and what's going on with with Tammy? I like that it's not going away, and I like that that they're willing to make these characters messy and their personal lives messy. Absolutely. And and not in a way where it's overly done or, like, misery porny or mm-hmm. or or super contrived. There's none of that. Well, it's, this... it's a very delicate balance. People don't necessarily always realize how tricky it is. Yeah, this is one of those shows where every now and again, you know, because we tend to prefer more serialized shows on the Televerse. But this is one of those prime examples of a procedural that has some serialized elements with the characters personalized, but is on the most greatest part a procedural that is absolutely doing it right. And it's so yeah. satisfying to see. And not to mention a cop show that's doing it right. Like I, I, I think when 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 this season started again, you said you still preferred Prime Suspect. I wonder how you feel now. I'm gonna have to finish finish up the season to to really give uh, give it a thought. But yeah, I'm definitely I feel bad about not having put anyone from Southland on my cops list, and uh, and so I very well may go back and uh, have an addendum to that, a little ETA at the bottom of it, because again, it's just something, I don't know a lot of cops, but I know a few, um, my aunt's a cop, and and for the people, the cops that I've met feel so much more like these people than any other cop show in in recent memory with the possible exception of prime suspect Hmm. yeah i don't know any cops and (laughs) yeah i don't know any cops so uh, (laughs) i i can't i can't uh make that assessment but it's certainly an interesting idea 
Yeah. Well, that uh, wraps up our Week in TV and our Spotlight. Of course, you can, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post-up at Sound on Sight about this episode, and uh, we would love if you would leave us some comments, let us know what you're thinking about this week's in television. Of course, we also have an M4A and an MP3 feed up in iTunes. We would love to get um, a, a new rating or review there. Uh, if you are in another country and you, you rate or review us, please let us know because we don't find out <laughs> about yeah. that because iTunes is really annoying. Um, but we would very much love to get some more, some more iTunes ratings and reviews. It really, really does help the show. Um, and uh, what should our question of the week be? Uh, I, you know what? I, I would like to throw out uh, specifically Bates Motel. And if people tune into that, if they like the idea of watching an original series on any, how they feel about prequel series in general. Cool. Yeah. Let, let us know. And let us know how I, most of the internet seems to, strongly disagree with me and think that it's it's good the reviews as well not just the the viewers but also the critics so please let let us know what you think about the show and um prequels and psycho and all of these wonderful interesting things of course you can always email us the televerse at gmail.com you can talk to us on twitter i'm at the televerse you are at sucker howl and so now we're going to take a little break listen to some music and a clip and come back with justine smith of sound on site for our season spotlight on girls season two as, as well as the finale together i've always marched the beat of my own drummer ever since i cut my camp shirt into a halter top this is what it's like when the hunt is over. Thank the Lord. Wish there was a Lord, oh. but I know there isn't. This is why we didn't invite you to the wedding. <laughs> All right. Tired of seeing you around everywhere. Hannah, who would you like to leave? Charlie can pick who leaves. <laughs> I guess I can just never tell if guys are attractive in a loserly way, or it's like they're just losers. Completely betrayed myself. For what, a pretty face? My Thank face you. is a pretty face? That's what he just Thank said. <laughs> Everybody acts like I'm nuts. I'm not nuts. I just want to feel it all. <laughs> I pee in every bathtub I ever get in, and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week, once again, we are skipping the DVD shelf and going to a season spotlight. And uh, back to help us talk about Girl Season 2. She helped us with Season 1. It's Justine Smith from Sound on Sight. Justine, welcome back to the show. I am very happy to be back. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so Girls Season 2, I know that, you know, season, it's been such a such a um i guess divisive season especially the last few episodes and uh very controversial i guess much of the season what did you think of both the finale and then also season two as a whole and then how it compares maybe with season one and what trajectory do you see the the show on um i think that the show has a it, it really departs from what they established in season one i think in terms of tone uh I feel as though Lena Dunham, as well as uh, the producers involved, like Judd Apatow, are kind of going for a different thing. And they're really experimenting with different formats and different tones that they that were not even on the radar for season one. I mean, the Patrick Wilson episode just feels like still feels like a big what the fuck were they thinking in a good and a bad way. It's kind of like it's, this is 40, the Judd Apatow film. It's kind of like season two of girls there's a lot of weird episodic things that don't really come to a head but are always fascinating but also upsetting because they feel pointless a lot of the time just, you know what i mean well i i don't think i would make that connection because i like girls um but oh, i love girls i love girls yes yeah. i i think we have a different 
take on this is 40 but um oh i don't love this is 40 though okay but i do i do agree that this has been this season feels a little um less narratively focused and and driven perhaps there it does feel like you said more episodic as far as some of the the way that in the first season they took they went home with with hannah and we had that episode i feel like they they did things like that more this season um but actually those are the episodes that i most prefer and um what I find most interesting about season two, it, as it, in a role, its role as season two, is that whereas normally with a show like this, you would expect that by the end of season two, you've seen some real growth and change with all your main characters. I don't know that we've really seen that. And I think it'll be interesting to see to what extent viewers are willing to stick with a show that doesn't seem to want to change any of its characters or most of its characters, that is. Um, it doesn't want to develop them. And when you're starting out, you know, when you're watching a show like, I don't know, Archer or It's Always Sunny or or even a drama, not a comedy that has its essential figures are all unlikable in in some way or another or self-destructive. I don't know that that's effective by season three if it's not going to be as straight up comedic. Well, and I, I think the, the comparison to, to Breaking Bad is, is astute because if it's a comedy, it's easy because all you need to get by is to be funny. If it's a drama, it's, it's difficult because you need to get by on something other than being funny. So in the case of Breaking Bad, you've got the cinematography, the acting, the set pieces, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the science mishaps, et cetera, et cetera, the mystery, the flash forwards, et cetera. Girls has none of those things. But it still attempts episodes where it doesn't really even try to be funny, so that's a, that's a really difficult thing. Um, you mentioned the, the finale, which we haven't talked about yet, and I think um, I'm I'm really I I've been deliberately avoiding reading people talk about it on the internet because I'm sure that people were just really mad. What was interesting to, to me about the finale was it so committed the uh, it, it ties in with 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 the whole season, like you said, Kate is being totally committed to having these characters not learn not grow, not change. The only one of the girls who maybe is starting to evolve is Jessa, who isn't even on the show right now. Well, and... Shoshana, I would say that Shoshana has changed. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm okay. not sure about that. I, I think she's, we, we see her doing things we haven't seen her do before, but I'm not sure they constitute uh, a real, um, it, 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 like real evolution or certainly not, not necessarily positive evolution, which is something that I think some viewers will start to get hungry for. But I do think what what's interesting about the finale is the way that the episode delivers these big what what in a more straightforward show would be obviously big moments of reconciliation and joy that you know aren't that really. I think a lot of the uh, criticism and praise for the season has to do with the fact that a lot of what is going on feels like directly out of the pages, for example, of Lena Dunham's diary. Uh, it just feels like, oh, this happened to me. I have OCD, which uh, Lena Dunham does. Like, so I'm going to insert that into the show. Or I had an affair with a handsome man. I'm going to put that in the show. And it's been a really contentious type of thing. Um, and as for this finale, it kind of subverts the, that tone that has been so persistent this entire season by being a really uncomfortable send up to kind of romantic comedies, you know, or uh, where they have like the, the reconciliation at the end where everything seems perfect. But as Simon said, you know that it's not, it's, it's just wrong. And you just feel 
really upset because you you kind of want to root for what's going on or not. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to be like 10 seconds of happiness on this episode and then everything's going to go to shit all over again. I want to, I want to be happy for Marnie. I want her to have something positive in her life, but I can't because she's going to trounce all over Charlie again. It's going to be terrible and painful. And unfortunately it it's, I'm, I'm willing to watch characters go through some, make the same mistakes. And it does feel very realistic. A lot of the best parts of this season in the show are the ones that feel like the most, feel the most truthful. So I'm all for the Patrick Wilson episode. I'm all for the OCD, but I think looking back on it, while I, I can't enjoy Marnie's uh, and Charlie's theoretical happiness, I can't enjoy that last scene with Adam. And I think a big, the biggest thing that's been missing this season for me is we don't have that central relationship of Hannah and Marnie. And I think the show, I, I, that fight in the first season was an amazing sequence. It felt so truthful and raw and real. And I think that that's what's missing in this in this finale for a lot of people. I think I can stomach Marnie making the same old mistakes uh, with Charlie and and Hannah being so self destructive in in her in her behaviors if there's something positive happening, but we don't get that. No, not at all. I think even it with this season, which I think is why it's this kind of that un, unseen thing that you can't quite paint your finger on. The fact that compared to season one, it's very rare that you even have two of the characters in the scene together or even interacting with each other. It's like they've all really gone their separate ways. Now and then you'll have the, episode, the few episodes with Hannah and Jessa or there'll be a scene or two with Hannah and Marnie, but they seem fewer and fewer. And I think it does reflect this kind of self-isolation, at least on the part of Hannah, who is self-destructing in the most wonderful way. But on the other hand, it does kind of leave you wanting because there, as you said, there does seem to be something missing for better or for worse, where you, you don't have anything to hold on to, nothing positive really that you can kind of say, well, maybe it will get better, or at least they have friendship, or maybe life is, like, I don't know, you just want an up and a down. And I feel like the, at least the last few episodes have been so much of people retreating into dark awful places or in the case of some of these uh relationship reunions just kind of going back to what's comfortable because it's easy uh it just you kind of want something even just even if Hannah had like written like one or two amazing pages of her book it would have given you something to hope for I I did love that one sentence we got though that it was great. Yeah. That was uh, fantastic, fantastic, and I think, I think really when we look at how and uh, Simon, I'd love to to hear your thoughts on this. That end, the the montage of the running with the music. I mean, it's so. I I know some people really got into it and really enjoyed it in some of the reviews I read, but for, for me, it was just the music just put it over the top, so I couldn't enjoy it. And I think that's because, at least for me, the relationship I am most am rooting for is Marnie and Hannah's. Because those those two having that as support, some of the scenes that I liked the best over this entire season was that when, when Charlie starts bashing on Marnie at that party and and Hannah sticks up for her and says, "You don't understand what's been going on, and maybe we're fighting right now, but that doesn't change. You know, that doesn't change. The, you know, that I'm I'm not going to stand up for for my friend. And uh, I mean, for a show that's called Girls, right? And it's something that I've, I've seen a lot of people complain about in this finale in various reviews." 
they do the, these main characters do feel very defined by the men in their lives and i think the men have been the most interesting and dynamic characters this season both with adam and, and ray i mean simon what do you think about all this i'm so annoyed you got to that before i did um, Ooh, the point kate ray is the only good person on the show right now i don't think it's that difficult to make that argument um or at least the only person who seems to be behaving in a way that isn't completely selfish all the time. He's the adult. Uh, he's the adult. Yeah. And he, and he behaves like one. Um, the, the whole issue, I'm sure I, again, I've been deliberately not reading stuff. I'm sure there are feminist blogs everywhere that are super pissed that the season ended with an episode that was so catered to the, the girls and their relationship with men. But I thought there was actually something really interesting about that. And the way that, you know, it's the most common complaint about female characters in pop culture that, oh, their 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 inner lives or their relationships or their dialogue is totally dependent on men. You know, the whole Bechdel test, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, there is something about the way these relationships are being, you know, it's not as though they're getting something great out of these relationships that's going to make their lives better in the future. You know, it, it might defer their problems, but it doesn't fix anything. And the show's very cognizant of that. And it, it's not as though people don't find themselves in real life in these in, in these sorts of relationships where they think they're, you know, where they think they're helping themselves, but they're really just, they're really holding themselves back. And that's not just about men and women. That's just about people. So I don't really think, for people making that criticism, I'm not really sure it's valid in this context. Uh, I also thought it was interesting the way we had three of the adult males in uh, Hannah's life, uh, Laird, her editor, and her father, all being very sensible, all telling her why her behavior is unacceptable and she needs to grow the hell up and, you know, be an independent adult human being. And she completely ignores that in favor of Adam. Well, and how Adam rejects the the woman who is demanding to be treated with... Like a human. Like, a, like with respect and with, you know, to... And, and to be seen as, as a person and, and in favor of this, this child who he wants to try to help fix. I mean, I think there's definitely something there that he understands her and, and can, can relate to her in a different way because he has, they have some, so many of the same struggles. Um, but it's, def, it's, there's a definite parallel there where she re won't listen to anybody telling her that she might have some mistake in this and that she needs to be more mature and grow grow up um and he at, at least at first i wasn't sure if his angry tirade or like destroying you know smashing fest that her meant hannah or uh natalia but then it seems pretty clear by based on his response to hannah that he's referencing natalia and he doesn't like being told by his girlfriend that he shouldn't call her a whore yeah yeah well i think uh what's interesting about that and um and what you were saying about this episode more being about the women being defined by the men but i think you can i think we're so far past that point uh you are right though some of the critics have kind of pinpointed that uh in regards to Oosh. this episode yeah um but the men are almost more defined i mean of all the characters on the show, who is more dependent on their significant other than Ray is on Shoshana? Or Charlie appears to be on Marnie. Yeah, and to me, the Shoshana's little uh, Shoshana when she breaks up with uh, Ray in the episode. I mean, she is hiding the fact that she cheated on him. But on the other hand, I think there is truth uh, to the fact that 
being in a relationship with someone and you're the only person or the only thing that they like in the universe is, is also disturbing in its own way. I don't think, I think Ray is, I love Ray and I think he's totally endearing, sincere. uh, And he's my favorite character in the show. And I agree with Simon that he's probably the only good person on the show. But on the other hand, to put that kind of pressure on somebody is also not fair to them either. It's not a healthy relationship. Well, I felt like this episode, I absolutely, actually, I do agree, uh, Justine, with what you're saying, but I think this episode and that scene let down Shoshana in that I, I don't believe what she's saying because we've seen Ray in the past several episodes be be kind, especially in relation with Marnie and her singing and be there for her and listen to her, I mean, in his own Ray kind of way. But we've seen him blossom and become a more positive, happy person because he's with Shoshana and to not always be such a complete downer. And maybe, and then there's also the episode that we saw with him. um, I think it's called boys, right? With him and Adam. And so maybe some of this is information that we, as the audience have that Shoshana doesn't have because maybe he's not showing this stuff to her. But when she says that I'm the only thing in the world that you don't hate, that doesn't feel true from what I've, from what we're seeing about him, yes, he can be a miserable person, but, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. And when you add on the fact that, she, you know, if she, maybe if she fessed up that she had cheated on him, then I would be more willing to believe what she's saying, but because she doesn't, it feels too much like, like an excuse from her to, to, to not want to have to face that she cheated on him. And so instead she lashes out and, and then for me, the the elements of truth in her statement get, get sort of lost. No, and I, I agree with that. But at the same time, I think that uh, the way that Ray uses Shoshana, and I, don't, I, I say use in not a negative way, the way that anybody uses anybody in their lives. I mean, he is definitely aware that she is upset for some reason, and he misinterprets that to a certain extent into thinking that, it is largely about his lack of ambition and which is why he tries to change for the better. But on the other hand, you have that uh, early in the, in the episode, we have those three sex scenes and the one between Ray and Shoshana is, is like, is really upsetting in a way because it's natural and it happens, but it's like, he doesn't seem totally aware of how, how far away she is. In psychologically from him and their relationship at this point. I mean, the way that whole scene unfolds, it's like he's almost like, well, I didn't realize anything was wrong. At least in the way that she's like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Like she's totally freaking out on the inside. And he, he's not aware at, to the extent in which she can't, she can almost not stand to be in his presence, let alone being touched by him. It's a, it's, a really uncomfortable scene. It's almost as uncomfortable as the, I never thought I would think that the Adam scenes where he's having quote unquote normal sex are way more awkward than his creepy sex with Hannah. Like <laughs> it's like, it's what he, the, the, the sexual relationship he had with Natalia is like a hundred times creepier than anything. He, the creepiest thing he did with Hannah. After last week, whenever we get an Adam sex scene, I'm just waiting for something horrible to happen. Something horrible always happens. <laughs> yeah, um, but the uh, I, I have to mention one last time. Every time we get a Marnie sex scene and she's completely fully dressed, I now just laugh because <laughs> it's just it's just gotten it, it's now a punchline and they must know it. Of course they do. 
Lena Dunham is very aware, right, of the criticism that's going on around girls. We saw that very blatantly. Um, I thought it was, it was entertaining and or fine. didn't bother me, but I know it did bother some people. At the beginning of the season with uh, the, some of the dialogue given uh, Donald Glover and that relationship. But I think we also see that here in this finale with the you need to change. No, maybe you need to change. Do you think that that this shows her understanding of of some of the audience's frustrations that and that she is going to change these characters over the next year? Or do you think that's her reacting against it and saying, I can do whatever the hell I want. It's my show. I don't I'm not going to change these characters if it doesn't feel authentic to me that they're going to change. Well, it it is interesting. This is the first season of, in, in a way, this is a different show than last year because this is the first season that's not being made in a vacuum. Yes. And so we're seeing, so at least half the season you can say is informed, if not more, directly by those responses. Uh, some of that has been interesting and some of that has been frustrating for me to watch. The uh, the, the the precise import of that meaning, I don't think, we're, of that particular scene, I don't know what that's going to be probably until next season or unless she explains it. But um, in terms of how it works in the whole season, some of it, like I, the whole decision to bring in Donald Glover for a couple episodes at the beginning to talk about race a little bit was interesting. But then the way that discussion was completely absent from the rest of the season was a little awkward, I thought. And uh, especially because it's a big issue. And then to have the OCD plotline, which has been fascinating, all happen so late in the season uh, to me was a bit of an awkward decision as well. This doesn't feel like a finale the same way that, I mean, I guess the final moments to some might, but to to me this, we don't get, it doesn't feel like the finale the way that the first season did. And apparently they had have been filming the third, actually they might even be done filming the third season at this point. They filmed the second and third season really close together. At least that's what can be garnered from some of the interviews with Lena Dunham from Oh man, back around the Emmy, uh, Emmy or Golden Globes around Golden Globes time. Um, so I'm curious to see if maybe season two and three are going to meld more into each other, uh, such that you know we'll see some of these. You know, like this feels more like a mid-season finale to me than an actual season finale. Is that just me? No, it's not just you. It feels like a show that's not done. I agree. I also agree. Um, especially, uh, especially where they left Hannah. It just feels like they've left her dangling in a weird place. Like, it's not that I wanted things to be resolved. It just feels a bit too unresolved to be the end of a season. It's not like a cliffhanger. It's like they're in the middle of a story that they didn't finish. Yeah. Yeah. And that when you have, you know, somebody who, when you have this very autoristic sort of approach, it's not quite as much as Louis, but, you know, it's, it feels applicable to the show. You know, and somebody also who is, this is her first show, and while she's very self-assured and she's done a fabulous job, I would say, uh, on the whole, she is still kind of figuring out what she wants to do, and she's not as used to the, perhaps the um, conventions of pacing for your overall arcs and your character arcs over the course of a television season. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if in season three we just kind of continue with the OCD thing, and then as a, when you look at the series or the seasons, the second and third season as a whole, it feels more natural or more like what we're used to. I see what you mean. And it kind of goes back to my initial comparison with this is 40. If only because it's a, it's as a film, it kind of doesn't have a beginning, a middle and an end. It's just a series of vignettes of a kind that are kind of working towards a common theme or common ideas, but never really come to coming to 
uh, fruition. And I, I mean, it is Judd Apatow is involved in this show. And um, I kind of feel that that influence for better or for worse, just because of the this uncertainty with the conventions of television, almost, where both of them are are not always working with the medium itself. They're kind of working with something else. I don't know if it's uh, the weird memoirs or essays that Hannah or Lena Dunham is always writing, or it's a kind of film or short stories, but it doesn't feel necessarily like a television series. Yeah. You know, it's like there's no, the, the flow is not the same. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's different. And so it feels a little weird. I'm just not, I, I guess for me, it's like, it's my, my complaints don't so much have to do with, is it working as a TV show? It has more to do with, are the themes and ideas being presented, being, exp- being taken advantage of in the best way possible. And in this case, I'm not sure that they have uh, in, in, in the case of all these things. Um, for instance, you know, bringing in the OCD so late, like that to me is such an important aspect of her character and and uh, and is so, and is also so interesting in terms of uh, her performance and in terms of stuff we, we d- we're not used to seeing on television that it seems bizarre to me to have it be introduced so late and like you like kate, kate like kate said maybe they'll, they'll just bring it back right at the beginning of next season and keep going with that as though there wasn't a season break but i guess that that remains to be seen so some of those decisions i'm not really sure about i i, I also think as much as there's a lot i like about the show I I think season two of Girls for Me kind of shifts from it's now a show I ad, like I I I, I, admi- I actually think I admire the show more than I did last season, but I enjoy it less. And I think that's probably because the she's more content to have the show have these characters be in stasis and be sort of awful and also not really go for laughs a whole lot. There were a couple of really funny episodes this season, but really only two or three, I thought. Um, and you know, and all that stuff to me is, is super ballsy and interesting and admirable and, and watchable, but it also means that I, I get sort of like less visceral pleasure out of it. So basically your best and favorite rankings, uh, for, for this show are substantially different. I guess. Yeah. Now I, I do, I'm curious what you guys think about, uh, a little comparison season one to season two and maybe even where the characters are at. I know last time we all said which of the girls we were. I, I, I said Marnie at season one. I can't say Marnie at season two. I don't think I actually am any of these people at this point. But um, I, And I know season two has gotten flack from people as compared to season one, but I don't know. There's a lot about this season that I really enjoyed. I was so glad we got that increased presence of Elijah. I thought he was great throughout the, throughout the season in his appearances. I really liked um, the the... the Again, the exploration of Ray and even um, Adam separate from from Hannah. There's a lot about this season that I that I really like. And I think if I were to pick like a top five uh, episodes from the entire series run, at least three of them would be from this season. Um, I can't even I can't really argue with that. I just find that this season really hard to watch, much harder to watch than season one. Mm-hmm. It it just hits a lot of uh, uncomfortable emotional truths i guess it kind of goes into territory that it's always a bit larger than life like sticking a q-tip in your ear until you you rupture don't yeah that's a bit that's a bit extreme and i don't know if 
I would ever do that. But there's there's kind of a it's a really overt visual image of self-destruction that I think that a lot of people can relate to and why the show feels so difficult or unhappy and kind of what Simon says, it's easier to admire than it is to enjoy. Um, I think there's a lot of really amazing uh, episodes and moments. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that they do seem to be taking a lot more risks in terms of the kind of narrative uh, and storylines that they are trying to approach. They're not afraid to like just the Jessa storyline. They're not afraid to kind of drop a drop one of the main characters for like five episodes. Although we have we have mentioned the fact that that may or may not be due to her pregnancy. It may or may not, and also the fact that she seems to really be unhappy to be on the show. I think she said something recently on Twitter, like she's like, after finishing season one, I thought it was fun, but now I'm just thankful that that hell that shit was that this shit is over or something like that. Like she's Oof. just really. She didn't want to be on the show in the first place. Oh, okay. Or Lena Dunham was like, you have to be, you have to be, because you're, I wrote this character for you, it's you, and she's not an actress, really, and she's not really interested in television. Uh, I think she's very much, the actress is very much who Jessa is, and I don't know if the character Jessa would play Jessa on a TV show and not hate it. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, yeah, and two small children is plenty for yeah. any parent to try to deal with. And if you're not, so if you're not enjoying your work to start out with. Yeah. It's not her career. Yeah. It's her yeah. side career. Yeah. Uh, do we have any uh, favorite elements of the season or episodes that we want to talk about? Or actually, Simon, what do you think season one versus season two? Uh, I, I think they're different beasts. Um, I, like I said, I think season one is more straightforwardly enjoyable. Uh, honestly, I, I don't really feel like, like you said, I, I think I have to wait till next season happens before I even get a sense of season two's place in, in what Lena Dunham's trying to do here. Okay. So favorite episodes and I guess let's, I'm, I'm curious to, to kind of reestablish this each season, uh, what, who we think we would be at this point. If you I, guys come, I know it's a cop out, but I have so much in common with Ray that I, I have to go with him. Just so, so there are so many scenes where he's pointed something out or, or you know, been, you know, said something very Ray-like where I'm like, yeah, I've thought that or said that to someone and shouldn't have. I think I have to, if I have to go with a character on the show, I mean, I guess, like, Hannah's parents, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Hannah's mom. That feels right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, kind of boring it, but, and, and, you know, caring more about responsibility than anything. Cause I'm not doing the creative young thing, uh, you know, scene that these main characters seem most uh, interested in. And I'm certainly not bar hopping like Shoshana right now. So I guess I'm going with uh, Hannah's mom. <laughs> That's a really good answer. I, um, I, I think I'm kind of caught between Hannah and Marnie mm -hmm. in that I feel like Hannah to a certain extent, I don't have OCD that I know of. But on the other hand, I probably more like Marnie, where I look, I, I probably look way more put together than I am, unless you know me. Uh -huh. And then I'm, you're like, if the people who know me are like, wow, she's self-destructing in the most awful way because she's wearing a weird outfit today. That's kind of like <laughs> the Marnie. Marnie's dysfunctionality is the fact that I think she's so real life pretty. 
and everything has gone so well. And then suddenly when things go a little not well, it's like her whole world no longer makes sense. I mean, the whole season and her whole arc is totally predicated on the fact that she is totally the most naive character. I mean, you have Shoshana and somehow Marnie is more ignorant about the way the world works than that creature. I end up thinking with, with uh, Marnie, um, I keep going back to that wonderful um, couple of episodes with John Hamm on 30 Rock about how the world treats yeah. him different because he's so pretty and he doesn't realize this. <laughs> and so that, that's what I, you know, when you said that, that's what immediately came to mind. That's exactly what it's, it's like. Just more real. Yeah. She's of. starting to, you know, see some of how the rest of the world works when people don't just give you stuff because you're really pleasant and intelligent and pretty. And I think that in terms of the, the season finale where she does get back with Charlie, but even before she's like, oh, but if we're not going to have casual sex. And she's screaming that all, all over the brunch place. <laughs> um, when they're in the office about to have sex and she has that, that kind of first distance, I think, where she's not sure anymore. She's like, oh, so much has happened where I thought this was real. But now I don't know anymore because I've had so many people burst my pretty bubble. Mm-hmm. But even then, so that kind of bleeds into everything. Now. Like, I think she's more uncertain and I think that's good for her. Whereas I think that Hannah has to be less uncertain because clearly when she is not sure of herself, the world literally collapses around her and people might die. And she's sticking Q-tips where she should. Yeah. <laughs> Q-tips, don't that was the most that... disgusting thing oh, I've God. seen on TV in so long and just pain just painful to watch because you know you know what's gonna you know it's and you want to reach into the tv and stop it from happening this is why this is why you're hannah's mom because you're you just you exactly. just sit there thinking no dear don't do that <laughs> yes yes definitely i hope that she didn't really do that in real life whereas whereas the thing the the reason i think that i i i associate with ray is because that it it made it became most abundantly clear to me in that scene with Adam where he's where he's explaining to Adam that actually Hannah's not that great. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, actually I think I would probably make that same argument. But wouldn't you be like I would if as a as a man I would be scared of Adam. Um I would I, I've known people like Adam. I, I find people like Adam interesting to hang around. You would. You would, Simon. <laughs> I don't know. But- do we have any uh, final thoughts about uh, Girls Season 2, where the show is headed, what we would like to happen? Uh, I just want to throw out some keywords so that the feminists will be happy. Uh, Bechdel, mansplain, um, what else should I be throwing in there? Um, I feel like I need something for the... Taylor Swift? Uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Uh, I want to. I want to. I want Taylor Swift to review girls and Az- tell Azealia us how feminist it is. Azealia Banks. Uh, I'm done. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so you want it to be more feminist? Yes. As it goes on. Yeah. It, it, no. It just it, anything that makes people more angry is always good. I don't know where I want the show to go because I'm kind of upset with it right now because I'm kind of I feel so uncertain about its future because I feel like it can. It's so close to spiraling completely out of control, like not in a good way. It, it, I don't think it ever crossed the line this season, but it came so close. And that's why I think they had such great moments where it goes so close to being like, fuck this. 
that it's like, wow, this is amazing. But that's a really hard line to, to it's really hard to stay close to that, that energy without going like jumping the shark really yeah. hard. Yeah. I think what, at least for me, what has kept this um, season working, even when I, I'm not, um, it, I, when I don't find it pleasurable <laughs> to watch is that even something as, as, um, as disturbing and difficult as on all fours still feels true to these characters and to the world and to the experience, you know, that, that Lena Dunham is drawing from that, that she's, you know, this, it feels true to our world and their world and these characters. And as long as that continues, I think I'll be, I'll be happily on board. Um, and I think a big, key to that is yes sometimes everything goes bad all at once but usually if you have a group of people everything isn't going bad all at once for everyone so i hopefully there'll be some tempering of some things and hopefully we'll start to see characters develop and change and um and grow in some sort of a direction from their experiences so i guess that's what i'm hoping for next season all right justine thank you so much for coming on the show where can our listeners find you online uh, they can find me on Twitter at Red Room Rantings, or they can check sound on site. And I sometimes review things. Well, on that note, uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.